this is what happens when I tell you, you need to be able to control this when you're on, on well, another show. We're sitting here having this whole chat, not even on. Hello, all. Welcome. It is Monday Night Generational Change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter, and that's probably a good thing. Lord knows what we were talking about for the past few minutes. I don't Guys, know make sure you about. smash that like button. Get this out to everybody. Uh, this, of course, was a last-minute uh, get, if you will. Uh, but considering what happened at the end of last week, I would think that um, you know this is a conversation that we've been wanting to have for a while. Oh, yeah. Um, and, of course, under these circumstances, considering who Jen ran for Congress against you guys, she, uh, a couple of years she's ago. She's been making some serious unforced errors over the past couple of years. And just it's really it's kind of glorious to watch it in some ways. But this one was really special today. So, I mean, or when was that? When was it? It happened like a few days ago. Yeah, it happened at the end yeah. of last week. Um, yeah. But uh, the, yeah, uh, she's, the chair she's of just, the, the chair of the judicial work. committee, uh, Jim Jordan, had requested uh, Matt Taibbi and a former uh, get multi multi time guest of the yeah. show, uh, Michael Schellenberger. Uh, to discuss uh, the Twitter files. And then, of course, it became a what most of these things end up becoming is a political spectacle for so many people. Uh, but the, the crux of it is journalism. You're a journalist. I study journalism. Right. Matt well, is a journalist. Two good issues, OK, there's the journalism issue. And then there's the Debbie Wasserman Schultz is some sort of arbiter of ethics issue. And those both issues have got to be like they're they're very important issues, because if it weren't her, it would still be an issue. But the fact that it was her makes it really juicy to me. Matt, this shirt's for you. You want a friend in Washington? Get a dog. Get a dog. <laughs> All He's right, an award-winning journalist. He is also a best-selling author of many great books, including one that I have read, Hate, Inc. And what better time to have him on? Matt Taibbi, welcome to Generational Change. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when we see someone that has such an up-close and personal encounter with our esteemed congresswoman, <laughs> we find it very interesting to sort of touch base because we have yet to meet someone who's had a good interaction with her, locally or otherwise. And um, I watched her nonsense as best I could. Her voice is so grating, so it's really hard for me to stomach, but I, I, I got the gist of it. But thank you so much for coming on to share your experience about that. No, of course. I mean, that was that was uh, surreal, I have to say. Um, I had forgotten that she existed, frankly. And um, <laughs> and because and, I studied the other members of the of the committee and and for some reason, I just passed over her uh, in my preparation. So when that whole thing happened, um, uh, I had to process a lot quickly. Uh, yeah. I saw that. I saw you and Michael kind of like chuckling about some of it because you can't help but laughing. So we, let's start off with this quote. And I, I re-listened to it a few times to make sure I got it exactly. By the way, Debbie, if you wrote this, not so good. If you, you might need to get rid of your speech people. So, and I'm quoting hypocrisy is the hangover of an addiction to attention. Now, Matt, I'm a pretty bright person. I, I I've studied like a lot of different things. I don't know what that means. Can you tell me what that means? Because I really don't know what that means. No, I didn't know what that meant. There, there were actually several questions that were thrown my way. That um, if you if you watch <laughs> if you watch the video, you'll see me freeze because I I literally was at a loss for words. I didn't know what to say. That was one of them. There, there was another one where um, uh, Congresswoman Garcia 
said, but you just said you you attribute all your sources to Twitter. And I I didn't know what that meant. I mean, I didn't even know what she was trying to say. So, um, but no, the, the she I think uh, W. Wasserman Schultz was trying to be. No, 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 Right. God. Right, right. Uh-huh. And uh, and what politician is 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 attention averse? By the way, I mean, come on, uh, that's that's ridiculous so um and she seemed very put out by the number of twitter followers which oh yeah i i i i didn't see that question coming i i didn't understand that that might be a problem but she was very (laughs) focused on it i still don't understand what the it's interesting that there was any commentary here locally or otherwise that intimated that somehow you got owned I was sitting there and I had no idea. So is she saying that you're not allowed to make a living and expand your platform by doing what you do? And is she somehow, somehow saying there's something wrong, like there's a conflict of interest? And granted, of all people who know conflict of interest, she's like, she knows it better than anybody. But like, I I don't understand. What was the point of this? What are they trying to prove that you did? This is a, a playbook that's that's become very common with uh, this particular brand of Democrat. And I, again, I I, I'm a, I was raised a Democrat and, until last year. I was a registered Democrat, um, but this new incarnation of the party mm-hmm. has a playbook that it that, that it uses with witnesses. They always accuse them of having financial motives that the that. They do not have beliefs. They don't, they only have interests. Um, so money always comes up one way or the other. Um, and, and in my case, I, I made a mistake. Frankly, I, I be, the reality is that I've actually haven't really made a whole lot of money on this story. But I should have said it's none of your business if I made money on this story. Um, yeah, I was just so stunned by the question that that. Uh, that I, I, you know, I forgot to answer it that way. Um, but As it was a really offensive. I laughed out loud. Yeah. Like, like, I, and, and had you seen it as a spectator and it wasn't you sitting there, you would have realized how ridiculous this was and that they're just using it to like thump tribal chests. Like somehow we got you, we hate Elon Musk. We got you. And by the way, I I'm not a fan of his. And people know on this show, like I call Tesla drivers Musk fans. I am not a fan of Elon Musk. But um, let's talk about that this is a journalism issue because that's really what it is. I mean, you're reporting information. And while Debbie doesn't understand how journalism works, um, we all gather lots of information and then you put together what you think is most relevant. I'm speaking like I'm talking to her because I feel like somehow this is rudimentary, but no, no, no. you know what I'm saying? Like you cherry picked everybody. No, you would like reporters to just transcribe all of their notes. Would you like to read that? That's not how this works. But anyway, so um, talk about what it was that you did put out that she is finding so offensive. Well, the look, the Twitter files are... There's a lot. It's a weedsy story, but the big picture is not all that difficult. It's just there is a very elaborate relationship between federal law enforcement uh, and the intelligence agencies and these platforms like Twitter, Facebook, Google. Um, They've worked out 
a fairly formal system for taking in huge amounts of moderation requests. And that was, you know, that was something that it took us a while to find in, in the files, but we figured out the whole architecture of that. And it's not really a right or left thing, honestly. It's just, we're showing you how this works. This is a bureaucracy they didn't tell the public about. And, you know, we did. And for some reason that just makes them so upset that we're disclosing something that is unapproved, um, that they attacked us as paid off, hypocritical, attention addicted, um, you know, paid scribes for Elon Musk. Uh, and I, there was no engagement with the issue whatsoever. Not, not even a little bit. Right. Well, because that then they'd have to actually address the fact that this is a constitutional violation. Like you're a lot. There's nothing that says you can't make money doing reporting. And there's no reason that you should be in in sitting in some sort of like committee meeting for doing your job, which makes me wonder, were you like served to show up? And what would happen if you just said, yeah, no, I'm busy and I'm not coming in there to talk about this crap? No, I wasn't served. I, they asked me. I I was glad to do it because we actually, Michael and I had the, the conversation the first time we, we saw some of these emails. We thought, oh, my God, this stuff is never going to get covered. And our nightmare was that it would, there was never going to be any attention uh, focused on it and people wouldn't know about it. Um, so we were very glad when the committee called us up. Uh, because we thought this was an opportunity to tell all, lots of people about this. And we showed up, yeah, I mean, and just sort of gave them the basics. But that just, it, it, the anger that it inspired among the Democratic um, members was was a little bit shocking to me. Um, I, I would have thought, because th there is an intellectual argument they could have made about some of this stuff, and they didn't even bother going there. Uh, which was interesting. No, they just want to basically put people that are presenting truthful information like you, like anybody else who's any sort of whistleblower. They just want to keep you on notice that they have power and somehow their conflicts of interest are somehow kosher and you should not make a living doing what you do. Like somehow you took some vow of poverty in order to be a I don't know. I don't remember that in J school. Um, but no, and they would never that? they would never do that too. I mean, look, if there was a New York Times reporter sitting there, they would never say, "Hey, did you get a did you get a book deal for for covering this topic that was, you know, worth a lot more than than you're ever going to earn from sales?" Like or or do they ever ask that of politicians who get ridiculously overpriced book deals? Of course not. But for an independent journalist, you know, the, the pecuniary factor is suddenly very interesting. Yeah. Well, ironically, somebody from the times wouldn't ever be sitting there in this kind of questioning because that's their stenographer. So they're working like, like they wouldn't have that conflict. They wouldn't have a problem. They wouldn't be putting anything out that wasn't approved by whoever that is at the top of their food chain. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We're speaking with Matt Taibbi, uh, you know, earlier today, uh, I had forwarded Jen, uh, you know, unusual whales and the things mm -hmm. that they uncover. Mm -hmm. And so they did an end of the year report of who were the most profitable members of Congress uh, regarding stock trading. For the uh, year, right? This was for the year. year. Yeah. For the year. Would you care to guess who the second person was after John Fallon? 
Is it Debbie or is it John? Go- is it is it Goldman? Deb, Debbie's it's Debbie, two. and Debbie? she's the 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 highest earned Democrat on that list. And not that I think it matters one way or another because I don't. But there's so many sycophantic Dems that somehow think that they're sort of more like holier than thou on these issues. That's the only reason I I pointed out. Yeah, and and it's funny because. I, I, cover, I started covering that issue a long time ago when the original Stock Act was passed but way back. Um, I guess it was 2010, I think. Um, and there's there's been a split within the Democratic Party for years now where a bunch of the members really want to close all the loopholes there. And the leadership keep slamming the door shut on doing that. And that's one of the, it's a, it's one of the bigger underreported stories in Washington is that this kind of stock trading free for all is allowed to go on um, because by silent assent. Yeah. Well, we know that Pelosi wouldn't even bring it to the floor for a vote, but, and what's interesting is if you look at the bottom of that list, she's down there at the bottom. She actually is in like the negative, which is interesting. And I also wonder how much of that is based on that's just what's in her name versus what's in her husband's name and who the hell right. knows. But, but right. It's silliness. So what that really indicates to me then, and I just had this thought is that Debbie is really dumb enough to put everything in her own (laughs) to look like such a friggin' corrupt person. Like who would, it's just like no shame whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah. And also mm -hmm, good. No, please Matt, go ahead. No, look, the, the members who do that, who, who feel like they have to profit while they're in office, especially house members, you're only there for a couple of years. If you, if if you're so worried that you're never going to make money again, except by this deeply corrupt uh, method in a two year span um, or a four year span, that tells you that this person doesn't have a lot of confidence in their ability to, you know, have a saleable skill anywhere else in the world. You know, yeah. uh, so it's it's always very troubling when you see that. Yeah. Matt, can you talk about the importance of the information that you provided, regardless of how slanted it is, and the only thing that truly matters is whether or not it's true. Because to me, we're living in an era where the polarization on both sides is just so grandiose at this point. It doesn't, again, this all started, I can still, I can still hear Debbie's grating voice saying, you can't read the emails, they're from Russia, or Russia stole the emails. And I'm just thinking, I don't, I just want to know what's in it. Is it true or not? You know, we're, we busted our ass for a year plus, you know, to try to help Bernie get elected. And what we're, what we're hearing is that we're not crazy. We always suspected there was no way he was ever going to be able Able to win. And so now it's been proven. And your answer is uh, Russia stole the emails. It's like, don't look over here. Look over here where we want you to look. And now you're being faced with this issue of we hate Elon Musk. We think he's this, that and the other thing. So don't release this information, especially if it makes the Democratic Party look bad. <laughs> Only thing that matters to me is, is it true that big tech and big government collude together to suppress the American people of vital information? And the answer is yes. And regardless of what you think of either side, to me, that's everything. And I understand there are people who may not like how you've done it. They may not like Elon Musk. To me, is it true or is it not true? That is the essence of journalism. Daniel Ellsberg, all the way down the line, I would hope you would agree. I'm assuming you would. And obviously, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Oh, I completely agree with that. In fact, it's it's a 
constant source of frustration to me that even people within the business don't know the ethics of this. Uh, this, this the Supreme Court has has specifically sanctified the use of stolen material for journalism. There's a, there's a case called Bartnicki v. Bopper, um, which says that anything that's in the public interest, no matter how you obtain it, um, you you can report it. In some cases, you must report it. Uh, and the idea, I mean, this the, the classic example of this was, uh, you know, the 2016 um, DNC leaks or the Podesta leaks. There was all this hand ringing about where did it come from? And if you remember correctly, when they when the Podesta stuff came out, there was all this disinformation that came out about how these were not real emails. People went on MSNBC and, and questioned the provenance of them. Um, but they were real. Uh, it was relatively easy to figure that out by call, by calling the people who were on the other end of, of the line. And the instant you find out that those uh, that material is true, the balancing test, you know, against whatever the motives of the people who released it are, it you know, it's it's so clearly weighted in the direction of the public interest that you 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 must do that story. Um, uh, you can note where it came from, but you have to do the story. And in the case of the Twitter files, it's it, it's not even a it's not even a consideration. Like yes people who give you stuff have motives, but every source does. And in this case, you know, it's a whole range of incredibly interesting and newsworthy things that we would be irresponsible not to report on. So um, it's frustrating to hear people talk about this as though it's some kind of ethical issue. And the yeah. Can you just, for the record, tell us you're not some shill for Elon Musk? Can we please like the, it's so silly, people. People are allowed to make money for doing their job. That doesn't mean that they're being unethical. <laughs> just don't understand this mindset. Well, people have been the, the, the thing that bothers me is that the, this people do con- continually imply that we're being paid by Musk. Um, and they even suggested it in the in the hearing. Uh, actually, I think Debbie did. She, she asked me at the end of her questioning if, if I've been paid to testify. Um, but, you know, that's ridiculous. First of all, you know, you don't need to pay journalists to, to do their jobs. But like, that's the whole point. We we're excited by the story. We'll fi- we'll figure out a way to get that monetized if it's a good enough story. Um, but people want the it's just such a part of the modern strategy of knocking down information is making the conversation about anything but the material that's all they want to do perfect example we have a person in the chat who just says hard disagree working with a corrupt billionaire that bought said platform worst acting like he's above reproach for doing so and again you don't have to like elon musk you have to recognize i don't you guys know Yeah. And Jen definitely does not like Elon Musk. And we're living in a world today where it doesn't matter whether you're on the red team or the blue team. Corporate special interests have completely bought our government. Look no further than the Silicon Valley Bank. What more do you need to see? I mean, at some point you have to say, wow, this really does suck. We really aren't relevant in this in the in the the grand scheme of things. And yet all the while. And and when I saw people cheering on Debbie, even people you would think would never in a million years do something like that because they don't like you because you're working with Musk. And I'm just saying this is unbelievable. 
do, do people just forget if you, the the modicum of 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 lack of ethics in any way, shape, or form in politics is Debbie Wasserman Schultz? Like, get anybody else on that stage if they need to cut you up, if you will, for releasing that information. But this is the person you want to send up there. Eh, I mean, it's like yeah, I said. I- Playing in the two-party system, it, it you know it, you gotta you gotta have a very strong stomach for it. And, and look, I, I understand there are people who are like, oh, he's a billionaire, he's got these motives, blah blah blah. But even billionaires actually are relatively small pieces of the, of the puzzle compared to some other forces, and that and that's that's kind of the theme of the Twitter files. We're we're looking at these massive institutional relationships within which you know billionaires are, are just kind of passengers they 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 pass through um they're factors but they're you know they're they're relatively minor players compared to the you know the the, the defense department the defense budget you know i mean the, the these are these are gigantic sums gigantic institutions and people have to understand that that within that framework even somebody like elon musk um, it, you know, it, it is is not the all powerful Wizard of Oz that people think of, of him as. No, that would be Bill Gates. We're we're not <laughs> we're not crazy here. We're not tinfoil hat wearers. We know who's who. Um, and and my my thing with him is definitely like again, it ha- it's irrelevant to what we're talking about, which is that you're allowed. First of all, if Twitter, everybody's allowed to make a living, like, you know, as far as like reporting on things, like I'm just still very like taken aback that this was a problem for them. No, but again, it's, it's just, it's a consistent part of the strategy. They, they, they they want to impugn your motives. They want to make it about anything except, except what you're talking about. And with, with us, because uh, neither Michael nor I um, are any more part of the mainstream club, um, you know they 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 were playing this game where they were trying to um, uh, su- suggest that you know we're sort of social climbers that we were out to get something that we didn't deserve. Um, and that that we were after a piece of the pie and this was a shortcut of some kind like there's all these sort of subtle implications in the way they talk about this uh but but again it's it's just a way to deflect from the simple stuff that's in that's in these um files and i think the most disturbing takeaway from what happened the other day wasn't uh, i mean obviously what debbie did was you know, the worst kind of showmanship, and it was all intentional. But the fact that there was such bickering, particularly by Representative Goldman, who's a special kind of, you know, bad uh, public servant, because he isn't a public servant. He is the heir to the Levi Strauss fortune. He bought that congressional seat because progressives don't know how to get their damn act together, didn't get behind Yuli New as they should have, and she would be in Congress right now and she would not be playing that stupid game. Yet he's in there wanting you to admit that there's Russian collusion still after everything. But on top of everything else, the fact that we are still living through this Julian Assange nightmare and they're literally – they are trying to get you under oath to say, who's your source? Oh, oh, I am. Your source. No, we're not asking him who his source is. No, who's your source? It's just there. The complete. And this is one of the reasons why sometimes you have to break bread with, you know, different uh, individuals on the spectrum of politics, like libertarians who understand that our civil liberties are literally going out the door right now. 
Like we do not have much of anything. You couldn't even, even five years ago, you couldn't imagine sitting in front of a house select committee and them suggesting give up your source. But today they think, oh yeah, no, there's no protection. There's no freedom of uh, protection of uh, information anymore. Now you need to give it up. And if you don't, then we're really going to back you into a corner. To me, that was the most disturbing takeaway from the hearing. Do you feel that that was the same as far as you saw it? Yeah, I, th I think that was very disturbing, and it was representative of, I think, a change, uh, just the basic change in the way Democrats have come to think about civil, civil liberties in the last five to ten years. Look, again, it's not a big Sherlock Holmes mystery how, how this story came out, yeah. but I made a deal on an attribution. The The attribution was sources at Twitter. It's actually accurate. There's more than one person. Um, and pressuring me on t television to break that deal is is really uh, um, totally inappropriate because what it would do is we would send a message that the press is totally untrustworthy that that um, you know under questioning by government government officials they they should um, give up their sources or they should break their agreements even for something that's not that doesn't involve a life or death situation with some source who's in, who, in great danger. Um, you, you just can't break that deal. And, and five or 10 years ago, can you imagine Dennis Kucinich asking that question? I mean, like no. it would never, it would never happen. Like you, 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 you just wouldn't go there because it's understood that, that, you know, I, reporters can't answer those questions. Um, so for the way that they were hostile about that, um, you know, was an expression of, I, I think, um, a lack of familiar, familiarity and interest in those issues, which, by the way, comes out also in the Twitter files. There's an amazing exchange in, in the first one where Rohana is telling uh, Vijaya Gatti that, you know, look, there's there's all this jurisprudence. There's New York Times versus Sullivan, like, you know the newspapers have rights. Like you have to understand that you're, you're getting into some um, scary territory if you block the story. And she had no idea what he was talking about. It like, it wasn't that she disagreed. It was that it had never entered her mind before. And I think, I think we're getting to the same place with lawmakers too. Yeah. I think it's horrifying. And I, it's, I feel like they're just all very unfamiliar with this. And I, I, I try to like explain this to some people about how this works, but it's very disheartening when you're seeing people that just completely don't understand the first amendment and how this works. That's just not how this works. So it, it's, it's distressing. It shouldn't surprise us. Look, we have somebody on the Supreme court that couldn't name their five granted freedoms in the first amendment and she somehow got through. So, you know, I, I think that they're just not taking this seriously enough. And yet I'm, way left of them and they're acting somehow like old school They're They've crossed way over. These are not, I, I don't even know what these people are. I mean, they remind, they were, don't, don't, don't they remind you a lot of sort of the Tom DeLay conservatives of the, of the, the mid two thousands, the, this sort of casual disdain for like, Oh, that's so 2000. That's so pre nine 11 of you to care about due process or whatever, whatever it is. Um, I, I think, I think you see a little bit of that in this new breed of Democrat uh, that has gotten very, very um, 
sort of dismissive of the of the Bill of Rights ever since the Russia thing happened uh, or yeah. it didn't happen. You know, I mean, like depending on your point of view. Yeah. No, it's consistently being trampled on. That's why I keep it here. I feel like, you know, I just need to make sure that nobody's literally taking mine because um, we're losing these things like all over the place. And some it's just um, it's sad. They just don't understand what they're doing. They're really putting like final nails in the coffin of, of freedom of press. And it's really a very unfortunate thing that's happening. And the hypocrisy of these people is just that's so really the- suffocating. And that's really the point about them asking you to reveal your source. It's not about, you know, can they ask you? Of course they can. But it's being done in a threatening manner. And everyone yes. knows that. It's basically trying to silence people from ever coming forward. Julian Assange may very well die in prison because he refused to give up whoever the source was that released the WikiLeaks uh, emails uh, from John Podesta and Hillary Clinton. And to this day, they're still saying, hey, all you got to do is tell us who did it, blah, blah, blah. You know, you'll be free. And all I'm thinking is, yeah, that's the end of our civil liberties if you give it up. So, you know, I hate that somebody, you know, in this case, Julian, um, and we'll be in D.C. for the um, for the press freedom event, which will be on May the 2nd and May the 3rd. Third. It's um, May 3rd. May 3rd. Uh, it is very important that we do not forget how vital our civil liberties are. And whether you agree with your politics, which, quite frankly, if people know anything about your history, you're pretty left. Uh, but they They're calling him not because how dare you do. It's like everything is teams. Everything is if you're this, then you can't be that. And people are like somehow thinking you're a right wing person. And I'm like, well, first of all, that's just silly. I mean, no, I'm a, I'm a Bernie person, frankly. I know. I mean, yeah, it's, it's silly to to think that, but they and, have to be able to label you as an enemy. Yeah, and if we're in this, and if we're and if we're looking at this as you know into the future right now, as objectively as possible, when you have the possibility of having a real authoritarian president who knows what the hell he's doing, and our governor DeSantis, it, when you act like this. People are going to look at it as, oh, I guess there really isn't any difference. So I guess we'll just elect DeSantis because both sides are doing the same damn thing. When they conduct themselves the way that they do, you know, people tend to forget that half this country identifies as independent politically. And they're just going to go wherever seemingly the wind is going to blow at that particular time. And we've we've been living through DeSantis and we try to constantly tell people you're really underestimating this guy. You don't understand how he's going to appeal to a large swath of this country. And he is very authoritarian. Yeah. This whole thing is authoritarian. This whole thing is so authoritarian. Like watching her sit there, like any of that, it's just, you know, it's so, it's almost like McCarthyist. Like it feels like very um, scary. And and it's, it's like out of some sort of like novel that like it's Orwellian. Absolutely. I, I think they, a lot of the people who run this country came to the conclusion that civil liberties are ter- the reason that Donald Trump uh, came to power. So we got to clamp down on those. Um, and uh, I, I just want to agree with everything you're saying about the Julian Assange case that, that I feel like reporters have so totally um, miss the boat on how crucial a story that is for their future. Because if you, if you actually read that indictment, it basically criminalizes any kind of activity that involves covering the national security beat. Like 
you know, na- transmitting or conspiring to obtain um, national defense information. You do that every single day if you cover the Pentagon or if you cover, you know, uh, the NSA or whatever it is. Um, and you're guilty as soon as they charge you, basically. Uh, and and the, the failure of people to recognize that that it's not about Julian Assange's personality or, or what they feel about 2016. It's about the law and about what it means going forward. Um, it's just shocking. Uh, again, I don't think you would have seen this 15 years ago. I think you would have seen people rallying to the cause a little bit, you know, and, and you don't see it at all now. Well, I'm hoping there's a decent turnout in May. I mean, this is since I've been following this for a very long time. I think the first opportunity in terms of any sort of political thing. I mean, we're definitely at a better position with somebody like Merrick Garland than we were, let's say, back with Trump's you know administration in terms of getting them to be reasonable and drop this as Obama didn't want to pursue it. So it's like I think they know they need to somehow save face. And I think that this is an opportunity that if enough people really show up, that it it's really a bad look. Yeah, and the and especially in the rest of the world too. Yeah. I mean, you know, I maybe they don't care. I don't know, but I, I'm I'm assuming if if they go through with this, and let's let's say he ends up in Florence, Colorado, and he dies in prison, can you imagine the optics of that? Um, I mean, it, it it it's essentially a political prisoner dying in an American prison. I I I can't believe that they they're gonna they're gonna go there, but they seem like they intend to. Yeah, I think they've just been putting it off longer and longer and longer, figuring he would just die. You know, like they they just probably figure they could just drag this out and keep it going and then he'll die and then they won't have to ever really do anything about it. Like that's almost what it feels like to me. And Off Rail was asking what's in May. So guys, on May 3rd, it's International Press Freedom Day. And I am not by any means claiming to be the press, but there happens to be um, a, a march, a protest in front of the Justice Department in D.C. on May 3rd. And I know it's being organized by like the Assange defense people. Um, it's not just a bunch of random people. It's being organized by the key people that are really pushing um, for the legal help for Julian Assange. So that's what's Matt, happening. We're, Matt, we're equal opportunists here. And since everyone is going to use this uh, minutes dragon, I'll let you I'll let you ask it. It's fine. Hey, Matt, where are the tweets that the Trump administration wanted to have taken down? I mean, look, as far as I'm concerned, you can pr- print everything. Let everyone know what's going on. That's how I see it. Yeah, people keep asking me that. I I made a point of re- reporting in the very first Twitter files that I had heard that, um, and I heard it by from enough sources that even though I didn't have it, like I wasn't looking at you know requests from the from the Trump administration. I was that's just straight out reporting that people told me. Um, but people have to understand how the this process works. We were doing targeted searches from the very beginning, looking at something very specific, which was the relationship between Twitter and the intelligence agencies. So the the stuff that we turned up, and that was still an enormous volume of, of things, um, you didn't have requests from the, 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 the Trump White House in it. Uh, we did occasionally find other stuff in there. Like we found something from Adam Schiff, uh, 
because we were, another search term collided with that. Uh, we found something with Angus King uh, because of that. Um, but we, we, we couldn't find, we don't have the thing that people are asking us to disclose. I don't have, I have no doubt that they're in there, but people have to understand that this is, this data set is enormous. It's, it's as big as a, the number of grains on a beach, of sand on a beach. And we're looking at a tiny, tiny handful of, of tweets that are only representative about certain things. Um, if we had it, of course I'd, I'd publish it. I want the clicks as much as anybody else does, but we just, how we just dare don't. you, how <laughs> dare you try to expand your platform? No, 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 no. And that's the argument that, and that is the argument that, uh, you know, friends in the chat are making, which is why print, why print anything if it isn't going to show everything? It's like, yeah, you have some very uh, pertinent information that the American public should hear, but because it is slanted, don't release it unless you're going to show everything. And I'm thinking, you guys are still not getting that the system is completely corrupt. It doesn't yeah. matter what <laughs> side you're on. And if what happened with SVB is any indication, if anyone is paying attention, it happened. It, Biden agreed to buy to buy them to basically bail out the entire operation in less than 24 hours. It did, they didn't even th they didn't even discuss it. They're not even going to have Senate hearings or anything of the like. No. SVB comes out and says we need. Tens of billions of dollars to prevent an even bigger catastrophe for the economy. Give us the money. And so I'm thinking, what, does anything else truly matter if this is how the uh, this is going to be operated in this capacity? So as we do wind down the conversation, we'd love to get your thoughts on SVB and how that more or less is a microcosm of, of the rot that is this system, regardless if it's the red team or the blue team. Well, again, I, I spent... You know, almost a decade covering the fallout from the 2008 financial crisis. And I remember the heady days when banks like Lehman Brothers, um, Bank of America, you know, there was, there was a whole long list of them, Washington Mutual, that were either about to collapse or collapse, you know, had already collapsed. And the process took longer then. Um, you know, it, it, it took... Uh, a few days in some cases, and then like a month and uh, for, for the much bigger bailout. But still, the basic response was, let's just plug the hole with massive amounts of public treasure, and then we'll worry about the fallout later. And they didn't really ask the public for it, uh, for, for their permission. They just created a whole bunch of Fed facilities that, you know, we didn't learn about until Bernie and uh, Rand Paul uh, managed to get an audit, audit the Fed bill through uh, that, you know, told us about $16 trillion worth of lending that went through that year. Um, look, this is the way they, the, their strategy with this stuff is, is uh, consistent going back to the 80s. Whenever these idiots on Wall Street do something really, really stupid, uh, the Fed or, or the Treasury steps in it makes everybody well again. One of my sources called it drink, you know, allowing them to drink themselves sober. Um, and you, you just give them a ton of money, make sure that everybody gets back up to getting their bonuses. And, and then you worry about the down, the downstream effects, which usually involve things like 5 million people a year getting foreclosed upon, which is what happened after 2008. Um, 
it's 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 always take care of the rich idiots first and and then later on um you know the pain comes and that's unreported so i i imagine that's what's going to be the pattern in this case sorry I mean, that's depressing but yeah. no it's it's just it's ridiculous the whole thing's a circus and i and you know some people sort of fall into it when they they actually hear this and they think well, they're spending the money on that, but then why can't we have good things as if somehow there's a pie and it isn't a pie, right? We could have all the things, but yet it is still infuriating that they're putting out the, the idea that we can't afford things and yet simultaneously, but yet they can afford to do that. Um, it's absurd. And then they wonder why, well, they can't build their moats wide enough. I keep saying it. You wonder people like Nancy Pelosi, why would someone break into my house? I don't know, Marie Antoinette. <laughs> this is like this is just we're this is absurd at this point with these people. You can see you can see why Jen and Katie are so friendly with each other. They have the same the same. I'm, it's like I'm just livid about all of this. I can't. I just yeah. can't with her. And and here's something I don't understand. And maybe anybody can answer this. So you're called in voluntarily to go talk to these people, who by the way are our employees. Okay, so mm-hmm. they work for us. Okay, so you're called in. You voluntarily showed up. And this is a question I would have specifically for Debbie, because to be honest, that was the only bit I watched because I can't stomach that kind of ridiculous nonsense. But why so hostile? Why are they treating this like it's some sort of litigation? I don't understand. Like if you were coming in voluntarily to talk to us, so why are they all so angry and hostile? Why? I don't understand. I'm seriously asking somebody, please tell me why they're acting like litigators when this is a voluntary person coming in for your own inquiry. I well, really I, don't know. Honestly, I think it's just representative of th- this, this issue that we're looking at. Like they don't consider that there is such a thing as a, as a legitimate alternative point of view in these cases. So, you know, in the, in the same way that they will decide that 3000 names need to be removed from Twitter. They just, they just go for the, you know, how do we destroy these witnesses? How do we destroy this information? How do we make sure that it's discredited? Um, whereas, again, I think there is an intellectual discussion to be had. These are hard issues. Like, what do you do about hate speech on the Internet? What do you what do you do about uh, pornography and, you know, and foreign threats? For, for That's a real thing. You do have you do have to think about that. But they've they don't want to have that conversation because then it would bring eyes to what they've already done. And um, they, I guess, I don't think they, they want the public to know about that. Yeah. Well, I just figure, honestly, if they're that angry about, if you would, if you're going to get that angry about your secrets getting out, then you ought not be doing those things. That's my (laughs) thought. Like if there's something you don't want people to know, probably you ought not be doing that. That's probably just my yep. thought. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Thank you so much, Matt, no, for coming on and, and coming. I mean, we're small but mighty, but I really appreciate your time and coming on here. I mean, and I felt sort of sad watching you and Michael sitting there and having to listen <laughs> to, to that. Um, she's really horrible. And I like on behalf of other people in South Florida, we apologize I, for her. I, and I am sure, you know, and again, she she may be the nastiest person in all of Congress. Um, she really <laughs> wears that badge uh, like like it's of honor. And the one thing that because I, you know, I know her and I've been around her multiple times. Um, one thing I can tell you is that she has that habit of basically letting you know that I, 
she's very tiny, but she wants you to know that she walks tall and carries a big stick. So when she says something and then pauses for a second as if to suggest that it has now been granted you the opportunity to, to speak, that, excuse me, I'm reclaiming my time, I'm talking. That's her way of basically trying to stick it to you. That's not about professional candor or anything like that. That's basically saying, as has been quoted to us by a very noted person in the Florida Democratic Party, uh, Debbie has a propensity when she's trying to basically make her presence known, saying, and I quote, I'm Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and I always get what I want. And that can't really say I'm too surprised. What are you working on? How can people find you if they want to check out your work? Uh, obviously, I'm sure you've got a lot uh, you know, on the docket, but certainly anything you want to share before you. Uh, yeah, I'm at taibi.substack. Actually, it's racket.news now. I keep getting this wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm on Substack. And um, we're, we're doing a big project where we're mapping out this whole censorship industrial complex. And we're going to have a whole thing in the next couple of weeks about all the different organizations, where they're getting their money, what they do, um, hired a bunch of people to do that work. So um, it's exciting. And, and uh, if anybody's interested in that, I hope you come by. Thank you, Matt. Thank, thank you right. so much. Appreciate Lots it. Lots of applause, brother. All, all right. right. Thanks a lot, Peter. All right, Jen, Bye. take care. Bye-bye. Uh, Metalopoly summed it up best. Well, I guess if he was rolling in the dough, he would definitely not be taking the time to come to our small but mighty channel, as Jen likes exactly. to say. And exactly. What is it, and what is it that we are doing on our channel? What is our mission? Our mission is to transform politics into service. And who better to be We're on like that We're like Sisyphus, mission? people. We're like Sisyphus. Yeah. Who better on that mission than labor? because that is what we are fighting on behalf of. Yeah. And we are very pleased to welcome our next guest, two people who are a part of an amazing organization that is attempting to buck the trend of what you can and cannot do outside of the two-party system. We're well, very excited about say, this. It's only going to happen through labor. I'm this not going to get to like go all, I know, but I'm not going to get to go all like fangirl on her, Fair which enough, is probably like better. Her, I don't like know what I would do if she came here. I don't know. Sean Swant has started a new organization called Workers Strike Back. We are very pleased to welcome to the studio Bia Lacombe and Ryan Watson. Welcome to Generational Change. Hi, guys. Hi. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you guys for coming and thank you for being patient because we had obviously scheduled with you as soon as we heard this was even a thing. We wanted to talk about this. And then we had the opportunity to get Matt on after that whole nonsense. I don't know if you guys were following any of the Twitter file stuff. So we had to take the opportunity. But thank you so much for being patient and for being here. And um, yeah, we're going to talk about all sorts of fun. So I would totally be fangirling if Shama was here. Like, I can't even begin to tell you. Peter, it would be like that Cornell West moment, but uh, not <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes, I do. <laughs> so both of you guys, hop in. How did this come about? I mean, obviously, we have followed Shama's work for quite a number of years now. She is the biggest thorn in Jeff Bezos's side. And now she's going to have the opportunity to take it national. And I have no doubt that once she starts making stump speeches all over the United States, it's going to really galvanize a lot of people. We believe in labor. It's the last bastion of hope for our democracy. And so with that said, uh, fire away. Tell us about Workers Strike Back. Yeah. Who came uh, in first? Like whoever was part of it first, like start, because that'll be, we'll go in order of who got on board first. 
both of us were about the same <laughs> oh, time. So, about the same time. <laughs> but yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think the context for all of this uh, is not, you know, surprising to anyone, but the historic cost of living crisis that we're facing that young people have only ever known, you know, our whole lifetimes, economic insecurity, low wages, unaffordable housing. And now, you know, making sacrifices every time we go to the grocery store, the store near my house just raised prices like several dollars on, you know, regular things. And so workers are falling further and further behind, but the billionaires are making massive profits. Billionaire fortunes are increasing, the last I saw, by $2.7 billion a day. And, you know, then we've got brutal attacks on trans youth, trans people, LGBTQ people deepening across the country, and then the historic loss of abortion rights. Uh, And so I think ultimately it's really clear that capitalism and its ruling class will reverse every social and economic gain that working people have ever won unless we get organized to stop them. And I know you were just talking about SVB and the ongoing collapse of the banking sector. And, you know, we know the ruling class is going to try to force working people to pay for this too, just like they did after 2008, unless we fight that. And so, yeah, we can't afford status quo politics is really where workers strike back is, is rooted in is seeing this huge anger among workers at this starkly unequal reality in the world, which is only getting worse. And uh, the capitalist system is in deeper and deeper crisis. These, you know, the bank collapses are just the beginning um, of what we're about to see. And so people want to fight back. And we're seeing all these social movements against inequality, racism, sexism, and worker organizing. Like you guys are saying, the, this wave is like incredibly historic and promising of workers pushing back against the failures of business unionism, strike levels going up. Um, but ultimately, there's this vacuum of leadership on the left. And so uh, working people don't have representation in Washington, D.C., and we can't wait on so-called progressive elected officials who joined in selling out rail workers uh, in December, uh, you know, including the squad and Bernie, who either, you know, joined in the betrayal or refused to fight. The significance is or the, the differences is of little significance to, you know, the workers and families who are suffering as a result of that. So that's where we see the crucial need to build a national movement for workers to get organized across the country around a militant rank and file approach. And that's where Workers Strike Back comes in. We want to take the lessons of Shama's decade in office, building independent movements and winning and spread that across the country. Ryan. Yeah, Ryan, how'd you get involved? Well, okay, yeah. so Ryan, talk about like what your role is in this. Like, let's take it to the next level in terms of we know it's not a party. You know, you're not starting a party and I understand it's a collaboration and they're already, you know, it's unions don't all play nice together. Right. Like that's a thing. And union bosses don't always give a crap about rank and file, which is another whole issue. So what is the plan? You know, talk about like what what is this organization and how is it going to reach out to different groups to bring people together? I mean, definitely. Um, Enough is enough. I don't know if y'all been following that campaign a lot in the U.K., but you can kind of oh, see yeah. like there was like these. OK, great. The They have like these five demands that have been um, kind of a voice. To dr- I think it's at 800,000 people have gone to the streets and in the U.S. We don't we don't really. In that, that was like a call from like labor leadership. We don't really have that kind of same struggle. We don't have that same type of uh, dynamic amongst like union leaders. There's some progressive leaders out there and we definitely want to build with them around it. But. Uh, really rooting it in the rank and file, like Bia said, is going to be key. Um, and I think like that's why the that's where the voice of those those five demands even come into play. As you said, 
we're not saying that Work Strike Back is a party, but like we're calling for a party because, you know, the previous conversations, uh, the one about the railroad workers that you kind of had yeah. like a, a weeks ago, like it, it just points to the Democrats and the and the Republicans are just equally failing working people, maybe on different terrains or different realms, but, you know, failing working people nonetheless. Um, yeah. And then also, you know, the real um, the real demand for a better quality of life, better uh, raises and, and wages is just key. Um, when you're talking about your eggs went from $1.99 to $5.99, you know, in a year's time, but your wages have been stagnant since before COVID, you know, um, it's going to be key to kind of draw the interest of working people. And I think rank and file uh, momentum is going to be the is, is going to be the dynamic that pushes um, unions, uh, political organizations, those people who we, we had 20 million people out in the streets um, for for the George Floyd situation. So we had the basis, yeah. multiracial type of struggle that basically was then fueled into saying, like, we're going to vote for the president who was saying, you know, <laughs> Very much to the contrary of what the demand, the, ma- the main demand of that movement was 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 drawing out. Um, and then, you know, they're qualifying him as the, the most labor positive president since FDR. But then, you know, proceeded to <laughs> proceeded to, to to come down on a massive strike that would have been uh, that would have stopped the type of disasters that we're seeing the PSR. Yeah. Um, the those type of those type of things come into play, and so it's really we're really happy to kind of already start joining with um, a, a progressive element of the uh, of the railroad, the railroads, um, uh, railroad railroads, railroads workers railroad. united, yeah, workers united, yes, um, the RWU, <laughs> RWU is already putting out this demand, you know, that's saying like bring this into public ownership. And I think when we're talking about that, that demand really fits there. When we talk (laughs) about climate change, we need to bring the we need to bring the the energy sector into public ownership. When we're talking about um, the banks, you know, and like their role, we need to be bringing them into, you know, uh, uh, into into public ownership. Like we can't rely on a small section of society who can pad their pockets and that's all they care about to actually um, have our best interests in mind. And it doesn't matter, like if it's in, you know, Trump Town or uh, or if it's in a, a blue state uh, or blue city like Chicago. Um, like at the end of the day, working people have a common interest that is diametrically opposed from those bosses, and that we have to we have to get mobilized. We have to organize around that. <clears throat> yeah. Agreed. We cover labor a lot here. I think it's the actual, it's the only way we're going to ever get anywhere in terms of uniting people across the board. It's the one unifier that it's basically this surf class of people that we've become. It's, it's everything in this country now basically ranges from slavery to indentured servitude, depending on if you are incarcerated or not incarcerated. Um, but basically that's what it is. And we have this like elite class of owners 
that basically decide what we're allowed to get and not get. And, you know, they're talking a lot when we talk about nationalizing the railroad, that's only one of the things like you were saying that that needs to be under that kind of control. And then, of course, you have people coming out and saying, well, now you're sounding like a socialist or a communist or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that that sounds better when we're talking about not screwing over 99 percent of the country. Yeah, I mean, like, and I think you make an interesting point there because, uh, I mean, Ryan and I are socialists, but Worker Strike Back is, uh, you know, a movement for anyone who wants to get involved in fighting for a different kind of society where we billionaires don't control everything and then we actually get to have the things that we need um, and and that it's going to take a fight to get there and that people really have responded to that. Um, and I think that, so yeah, whether you're a socialist, whether you, uh, you know, you might have voted for Trump in the last election, uh, you know, we've actually found a lot of common ground. I mean, we need to dis- discuss these like differences within the movement, but if, but this is a place for people who want to fight back um, and who, I, I mean, we have these five demands that I think are really like where workers strike back is really centered around workers need a real raise, good union jobs for all fight racism, sexism, and all oppression, quality, affordable housing and free healthcare for all, and no more sellouts. We need a new party. Um, and I think the new party and like left leadership question is really key here, whether it's the labor movement or like Congress is that we have had all these like attacks that are happening um, and working people want to fight back against it, but we don't have the leadership to lead those struggles. You know, the loss of abortion um, and all the attacks that we're seeing on trans people right now, like there's this common through line and the attacks on the rail workers, the common through line is needing uh, a leadership that's accountable to movements of working people to actually take that struggle forward and to not compromise with uh, the ruling class uh, with like the political establishment and sell out working people, but to actually have a class struggle approach and, and win real victories. Yeah. Well, that's what this is. <clears throat> We're in a class war. It's a class mm-hmm. war and people don't recognize that. I've officially declared that I'm not any ist. I just, I, I can't be categorized. I'm not an ist of any kind. I, I, with anything, but I am definitely in this class war on your team. Um, And so that's what people need to be focused on, which is why parties use things like culture issues to keep us distracted from the bigger economic issues. And people like the trans community are collateral damage. Um, And and that's just and and why would they not be? You know, we have to punch down somewhere uh, because that's just how this works. Yeah, I think it's very important regarding what you guys are doing. And Bea, you just brought up a really great point. You know, being around the labor movement, you have people that are as far left as socialist communist, and you have people that are as far right as, you know, MAGA conservative. Uh, it is amazing how labor is the great equalizer. You bring the main issue to the table, like collective bargaining. I mean, obviously people on the right generally are, you know, you find a lot of people that are very anti-union, but I never find people that are anti-labor. That I don't find. And so the fact that a living wage, universal health care, you know, a clean energy grid, criminal justice reform, real tangible differences that will make our lives better in this country, across the entire political spectrum, in any labor organization that I've come across, there is great solidarity to be had, and it has been for some time. Do you guys see it the same way, that our way out of this is going to be solidarity across the political spectrum? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think 
this sensibility of like more like moral agreement, it has limitations. But when we're talking about improving the quality of our lives materially, when we're talking about $25 minimum wage, that it's not, it's not red or blue. You know, it's um, when you're talking about having jobs that could, you know, make America great again was based on a false notion of, of like racist history, right? But the reality is unionized jobs were some of the reasons why people were able to be able to take care of their entire families. And so if we're like, if we're changing the narrative and we're saying like, let's struggle together, let's have our collective action against the boss and drawing out the role of the boss as being very different from the ideas of the people across your aisle, even if you don't necessarily identify as the same race, you know, uh, uh, gender, um, uh, uh, political orientation, whatever, um, like that, that's how you always bring, and like struggle changes people too, you know, and like that, that third demand has already created a conversation that fight racism, sexism, and all of all oppression, right? Yeah. We want to say the person that wins when we're divided is not you or me, it's the bosses. You know, if, <laughs> If we're divided and we're pointing at each other the entire time, the bosses are winning because now you're taking the, that off of off the heat off of them. And we need to put that heat squarely where it belongs. Yes, there's yes, you might get paid more if you're a white guy, but who's paying him more? You know, did he come in and, and demand that and got his wage? If he did, why did he ask for one three hundredth of what the boss is making? Right. Probably not. He probably didn't make that demand. Right. So like coming together and like drawing out those those just like they did 100 years ago in labor struggles to say you you can't like you can't have white versus black worker unions. You can't have that because you're you're drawing a dynamic where you're already creating scabs. We're saying we have to fight together and and, and fight against the common enemy, which is, you know, you know, the boss. And the, and, yeah. the, and, the, and, and the parties that are apologists for them. Yeah. Well, the, they're just owned. They're just owned. Yeah. The people that are the party people are just little tools for corporate. You know, that's all. They're just sitting there being little puppets. Any of the ones that are owned by corporate donors. Um, but this is very reminiscent to me of like the poor people's campaign um, that MLK was working to put together. Uh, and I think that this is really important. And I think it's a sign that we're like on the verge of something happening. And what's even more inspired is that somebody like Shama is behind this because she actually has a track record of being successful in her ventures. She's not just like a talking head. And I think that that's critical is having someone who actually can get things done. Um, what was the launch like for you guys? I know it was a bunch of locations. There wasn't one near us. Um, Florida is definitely don't worry about us. We're going to be underwater anyway. But so how was the, how was the launch for every, for this? Yeah. I mean, well, we would love to get to Florida. So that's, yes. uh, we're, we, I, I'd yeah. be happy to help you and I'd be happy. Like I awesome. could not fangirl enough over her. Like if she called me, I'd be like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it for free. We can <laughs> set the whole thing up. Um, but yeah, we are, we are a right to work state that has closed primaries. And so, um, the idea of being outside of party 
is just, it's not happening here until we change our voting. Not happening in Florida. It's yeah. Just- well, and I, I think that Florida is a really interesting and important example too. When you think, I think the stats I saw were recently about Florida, but um, you know, the, the situation of how you've got a lot of Republican voters or like, you know, the state's more conservative, um, you know, uh, is the narrative. But then when you actually ask people concretely about issues like the $15 minimum wage, which, yeah. you know, voters supported in Florida, uh, Medicare for all for uh, these really progressive demands. If those are the things pe- people support those, like people actually support, you know, free abortion, people support, um, you know, all of these rights that you wouldn't associate with Florida or, you know, with, you know, more conservative parts of the U.S. But what that really demonstrates is the enormous potential for like organizing outside of the two parties. Like you're saying, there's no people don't see uh, a future for themselves in either of these parties. They sort of hold their noses to vote for whoever they can because there's no alternative. But really what people want are the things that we're fighting for. And that's why, yeah, we're um, I mean, to get concrete about it, I think it's a good way to talk about like how Worker Strike Back is going. Well, I'll talk about the launches, but like concretely the stuff we've been involved in, which we really highlighted at these launches. I'm in Seattle, um, Ryan's in Chicago. So we had two different launches um, in Seattle. Yeah, we had like 300 people um, and we raised $41,000, which was incredible. Um, and yeah, it was it was really, uh, we had a worker there, one of the big campaigns that we're taking on to try to um, yeah, organize around is unionizing Amazon workers at a facility called KCDG in uh, northern Kentucky, Cincinnati. Yeah. And, you know, unionizing Amazon is something every working class person has a stake in. It's the largest employer in the world. Uh, what happens there impacts all of us. And people have responded. I mean, there was for the worker who spoke, there was a standing ovation and people had tears in their eyes, you know, hearing him talk about the risks that Amazon workers have to face. Uh, you know, during tornadoes and during, um, you know, these like horrific working conditions that they face every day, having to choose between their lives and um, keeping their jobs. And then what it's taking to fight back amidst, you know, intense union busting, Amazon's firing, you know, some like one of the lead organizers and a bunch of other workers. And so they've organized a job campaign and they are, you know, militantly fighting back and organizing and asking for support across the labor movement. And Worker Strike Back has donated Three thousand dollars so far. We're having an unionized Amazon week of action coming up on the 18th through the 25th to talk to working people. But when we talk to people on the street, they're like, "Hell yeah, I want to support." Like, I don't support what Amazon is doing or Jeff Bezos. Like, we need to fight back against this. And so, I mean, it's been really incredible. And so we had, um, yeah, a speaker talking about that, and then we had a whole range of other speakers, you know, local unions, um, you know, unionized grocery workers and graduate students. Um, And then we also had a speaker to talk about another really historic victory uh, recently that you probably heard about, but uh, we won uh, legislation to make Seattle the first city in the world outside of South Asia to uh, ban caste-based discrimination, um, which was a bill that um, Shama sponsored and, you know, that we, we led this fight for alongside members of um, the South Asian community in Seattle and, uh, yeah, this historic victory. And so we had someone speaking about that. And so these are this whole range of things that Worker Strike Back is taking on and fighting for, I think is really exciting. These are the kind of fights we're trying to, to amplify. I think that there's a really big lane with the, the Trump voter, the MAGA voter, if you will. And I say that because there's a significant portion of their voting block that is really about bringing jobs back to America. 
uh, dealing with the fact that these trade deals have been done at the detriment of labor for decades and decades. Um, the only signature policy that Trump passed in his presidency was actually on his second day, which of course was to ax the TPP, which definitely would have been passed if Hillary was president. So there's the one thing you can hang the hat on. But at the same time, every day they're trying every which way to you know, not allow the minimum wage to be raised. Uh, the level of union busting that Howard Schultz has been getting away with, with Starbucks, again, another Seattle-based company. Uh, there's something to be said for that voter who will, at least being objective, recognizes that Donald Trump may say the right thing, but he doesn't represent working people, no matter what he says, because actions always speak louder than words. And so if you have that contingent of working people that recognize that that, that message of we need livable wage jobs here in America, we need tangible jobs, not the managerial money management class, we need real jobs that create things in the United States, I think there's a lot of interest there, and I think that that is where you could really have the sweet spot, if you will. And I mean, we think the world of Chris Smalls. He's been a guest on our show multiple times. You know, no disrespect to anybody who's running for president right now, but if he was running for president, I think he's the type of voice that can really, you know, if you want to talk about really building out that labor movement. I don't know if he's up for it, but you know, we look well, at it as. What's going to create the biggest level of interest in a labor movement? And what you guys are doing without question is, you know, we, we've been looking for something like this for a while. And I think you guys definitely get what, where we're at. Yeah, a lot of people say that. And Ryan should talk about the Chicago launch, but I should just say you brought up Chris Smalls. And actually, he's going to be at the rally that KCBG workers are having on March 18th. So if any of your viewers are in the Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky area, March 18th um, is going to be this uh, rally to launch the week of action supporting these Amazon workers. And it's really important to get all the kind of support that we can and everyone uh, can donate um, at unionize Amazon KCBG uh, dot com, I think I'll confirm, but um, also workerstrikeback.org. Um, and uh, we're going to be yeah donating again to the KCBG campaign. But um, yeah, I think that it's going to take an all out fight to, to unionize Amazon. You know, Jeff Bezos, uh, just like Howard Schultz, is not going to let that happen without uh, the force of the full labor movement forcing them to, to allow that. Um, and so that's what it's going to take in an all out struggle. Yeah. So, Ryan, talk about what it was like in your satellite office over there in Chicago, because, you know, we know the hub of this is Seattle. All right. And, I, you know, we're all the way down. Like we're the most far away from Seattle. <laughs> literally and philosophically down here. So, but I know that um, Chicago is cool. I actually lived there for a while myself. It is one of my favorite places. So I'm assuming you have like a pretty good turnout there. Uh, so unionize Amazon KCVG.org um, as a clarifying point. And uh, um, yeah, so Chicago, we had our rally uh, launch event this past Saturday. And, um, you know, I think we had a pretty decent turnout. And given that it was St. Patrick's Day weekend, uh, that that was like a positive um, because, you know, a lot of people were at the, the turning of the river to green. Um, but I um, definitely uh, Chicago, we had uh, a UIC teacher who came out and talked about their fifth contract and how they were able to make the fight for not 
not just a, a, a bit building on top of the 2018 contract, but building in the notion of like, we've had COVID, we've had a recession, you know, and like, at, like demanding a 20% rise there. But like, this isn't just the, the unionized worker movement. You know, it's not, we're not just appealing to like unionized. We, we want the unorganized workers as well. And so, yeah, the, 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 the importance of, uh, of Amazon workers who are, who are unorganized, the importance of Starbucks workers who are unorganized. And, and, and there was a speaker at the, um, at the Chicago launch whose Evanston um, store unanimously voted to unionize just last month. And like their preparation to um, to 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 build for a strike to kind of enhance their you know put a put a finger on Starbucks to be like hey we're we're not just trying to unionize we're trying to have a strong contract with demands that are going to actually improve the quality of lives of 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 the people and we want to put that pressure on um, you know all Starbucks work, uh, Starbucks unionized stores and ununionized stores to be like, look, if we come together as all Starbucks workers and uh, really put that on Howard Schwartz and well, I, is he even the CEO anymore? Or, you know, but Howard well, Schwartz and whoever represents. <laughs> um, he's doing the same thing that Bezos did with Amazon. It's basically right, just trying right. to pull the strings from behind the scenes. This is all. We see again, you. Yeah, like, it's, no, not, it's like it's they're they're really there. Like we see you. It's like right. Pelosi stepping down as you know, Madam Speaker. Is she still in charge behind the scenes? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. The person who brings in the money is in charge. The person sure. with the money is in charge. That's how it works. You know, yeah, that's I mean, how that's it works everywhere. <laughs> that's how we're socialists because we see that capitalism dictates. Who's yeah. in charge, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And we really want to put the pressure that the people who make the money are the baristas, the people in the in the stores, that you have the power. And oftentimes that's just the real dynamic. That's what Worker Strike Back can also amplify. And that's what we want on strike. We're going to be launching our own, um, you know, led by Shama, uh, that's going to amplify labor struggles, both unionized and ununionized, and you know. It, it, if if there's going to be there's going to be struggles in Florida, so we're not gonna we're not gonna forget about y'all. We're gonna be down there. We're gonna be supporting workers and uh, really laying the basis to uh, what is our power. Our power power is in our collective uh, ability to struggle, and and our ability that if we put our 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 hands on the on the lever of work, um, if we stop them then the whole system has to, you know, has to stop as well. So anything we can do, Gen Change, um, in Florida to help, we'd be happy to do. You know, we definitely have certain contacts in the labor community and certain anti-contacts in the labor community <laughs> that are that are politically entrenched with um, the centrist incumbent corporatists. And even though they technically represent labor, we know they don't. So, um, but anything we can do to help by all means, um, feel free to reach out to us. We'll help in any way we can with you guys. We're in South Florida. So, I, you know, you guys would probably have a lot better luck up in the I-4 corridor. We're pretty pitiful down here. <laughs> yeah, we've got some good, uh, 
the, the grassroots energy in Florida is between Orlando and Tampa, particularly State House Representative Anna Eskamani. Uh, she does a really great job of uh, putting forth the message that it's an it's uh, not a culture war; it's an economic war. And as long as you understand that the economic war connects all other parts, <laughs> and that anything that is not going to the heart of what the issues are that divide us between the haves and the have-nots, it all starts with what you guys are fighting for. So before I post it, Ryan, one more time, unionize Amazon KCB. Is that, is that what you said it was? It's a V KCB. as in Victor. Yeah. KVB. No, KCVG. <laughs> they all set the letters all sound the same. There we go. Ryan put it in the chat. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. We better have that. Um, KCVG dot org. All right. There we go. Yeah. Make sure I got this right because I'm going to put it up there. And if it isn't right, then you let me know. <laughs> yeah, guys, we got to help out. It's really important to help out, especially since a lot of us are stuck in right to work states and we're like so neutered unions and we've just basically, we have an administration that just crushed labor to the nth degree um, more so than I think anybody since Reagan, like this is really absurd uh, what's going on. And I agree. I was, we talked about it when it happened. It was very upsetting that everybody just signed on to screw the railroad workers, you know, and nobody had the balls to just say, no, I'm just not going to go with that. I mean, it, it's just, it's, they just all fall in line. It's very, um, it's very frustrating. And I get the whole problem with working within the system. Unfortunately here, we're kind of still stuck. Um, there is, but one thing you did point out that's very true is we did pass a $15 minimum wage here. Um, and we have been able to do other things through ballot initiative. Unfortunately, our legislature, when that happens, they keep upping and upping what percentage you need to get up, be able to pass something. See, it should only be like 50 point, whatever percent, 51%, but it isn't now it's up to like 60. And then when the last thing passed, they were actually trying to go up to 66 and a third. Um, to get it like where and what you keep, would have- and they'll keep moving the needle in their direction for as long as they can until there is a labor movement that literally yeah. can determine the outcome of elections. But that's the power for the labor movement here is going to have to be around the legislature. It's not going to be through the legislature. It's only going to it's going to be through ballot initiatives. It's not going to happen in Florida through our state legislature. That's not happening. Yeah. So we, yeah, be- well- we believe. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no you go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm like, we believe that um, labor needs to actually deal with this question of like, how do we struggle? You know, like there's like a, a, a notion of like business unionism, which says like appeal to the appeal to the bosses of the other of the company or appeal to the Democrats or the Republicans, depending on you know where they are. And we're like, no, the actual method that we need to really draw out is class struggle. Class struggle methodology, instilling our history of union uh, of union struggles as what was necessary to create the type of struggle. Because yeah, we y'all live in a, a right to work state, but like more than that, we need a, a militancy that, that 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 was the whole p- point of right to work. It was to spread them so thin, make them have to represent people who are not paying for the union as much as you're paying for the union and really make that that appeal to workers about what is the role of unions in their lives and how much they've improved the quality of their lives and like why right to work it may be the law on the docket but like as union members and I think the way to do that 
is you really have to start struggling beyond just the people you represent, but the entire working class. And so if you're making, you know, if unions had led the $15 minimum wage struggle and like, like they were at the forefront, people would say, you know, like they would, they would change their tone. I mean, I think working class people think are, are, are you know, come to these conclusions, not without good reason. Um, and so we really do have to appeal to the militancy of the struggles. Cause when we saw in 1930s union struggles, organizations blew up. They went from like thousands of people to tens of thousands of people overnight because of the successes that they had. And I think that's what KCVG represents. If they win, we're going to see a growth of union struggles around Amazon, just like they were inspired by uh, ALU in New York. Um, And I think that's going to be key. Mm -hmm. It's like one leads to the next and then one blows up the next. And so, yeah, I, I have faith in Southern Florida I have faith in working people who have different ideas. I've had examples of those ideas. And um, yeah, we need class struggle methods. And that's where it is. It's not in the behind the, you know, behind the closed door deals and navigating and make it smart, please. It's not that. It's thousands of people outside in the street saying this is what we need and this is what we require. And, uh, you know, and the threat of a new party, I think, is as well. Yeah, I mean, we never would have. Oh, I was just going to say, we never would have won anything with Shama's office if we'd taken that approach, you know, of trying to make backroom deals and uh, negotiate uh, peacefully with the Democrats. Most, you know, it's all Democrats except for Shama um, and had tried to get them to support, make, you know, these reasoned arguments. Um, It never would have happened. It's only this like fighting approach. And um, yeah. Important. Nice, uh, nice little dick of Pramila. I have to give you credit for that one. That was a that was good sleight of hand, right? Uh, Is that what that was about? Absolutely. Um, I whether you want to say it was or not, there's no question that that had a that had a little bit to do with it, and we don't disagree. And of course, that's why. the action that is taken outside of electoral politics is where the significant change is going to be felt. As FDR said, as most people consider him to be the ultimate champion of workers in terms of the presidency, I'm a Teddy Roosevelt guy, but I digress. Point being is that he did say, make me do it. And so because of the strength of the labor movement in lieu of the depression, the fact that the Socialist Mm -hmm. Party and even the Socialist Party at the time had like several million members, I think the Communist Party had like a million So create that energy that's outside of the two-party system, and you can force the hand to make it so. And that's what you guys are doing. Uh, You guys who are watching and will see this, and obviously the clips we will put out, if you are not currently supporting Workers Strike Back, highly recommend that you get involved. This is the outside labor movement that we're talking about. Um, And this is also true for any of the outside organizations that are struggling to get any traction. I would say this to the Progressive Caucus here in South Florida. You know, the best option you really do have is to start a chapter of Workers Strike Back, because odds are a lot of people will be interested in joining that than joining an arm of the Democratic Party. You're better off giving that a try. So yeah. well, it's important to-, to cross pollinate regardless. I mean, yeah. that's the thing about us. Like I'm, I'm principal and policy. I don't, I'm not playing. I, I cannot deal with the teams. Unfortunately, we're stuck here in terms of participating in electoral pro- politics. Um, it is what it is, but we do a lot outside of that because I recognize the futility in there. 
And it's really nice to see you guys like doing what you're doing. And I am very motivated to help you get Florida on your little list of places because we're sad, but uh, we're still, we're still here. Yeah. Oh, please. Oh, if I could just plug, if you know, if anyone, we don't have Florida yet, but if you're in Houston uh, on Thursday is the worker strike back launch there. You can find on our website, Madison, Wisconsin, launching March 18th, the Saturday. And then, yeah, everyone should go. If you're you know near somewhere where worker strike back is happening, join our week of action, the unionized Amazon week of action uh, starting this Saturday. Yeah. Guys show up for these people. It's really important. Whenever we've had an opportunity to show up um, for labor, whether, you know, whether they're trying to unionize or whether they are unionized, like, I just think it's really important. Workerstrikeback.org. Yes. And yeah, thank you both so much for having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you guys for coming. And you know what, honestly, I don't think I'd be able to have as coherent a conversation with her as I was able to have with you. No (laughs) offense. Um, Yeah. But uh, yeah, but do me a favor. Just, just tell her, I really dig her like, like, you know, and that, and that also the long hair is gorgeous. Would you do that? Would you just tell her? I I will absolutely tell her that. Thank you. Neela Combe, Ryan Watson, Workers Strike Back. Guys, get involved. Thank you so much both for coming on this evening. We will definitely be in touch. Bye. Thanks Thanks. for having me. Good night. So that was fun. Yes. And they definitely are on the right mission. And I do think, honestly, it would have been harder for me to talk to her. She's just like, she's like Shirley Chisholm off the chart cool. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she's one of those people. She's like Nina. Well, if you guys like our content and like when we can scoop um, really big guests at any given time. That was awesome. Kudos to Peter for getting that on. Even though we don't really have a lot of uh, wide audience, if you will, I always notice the comments. And one of the things that a lot of people said was they really enjoyed the interview, that the conversation and the questions were good. So if you do like our content and have not been uh, privy to becoming a Patreon as of yet, please go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You will get the Lulu sticker as an as a welcoming member of our group. So there is that. If you are feeling a little bit more generous than that, $10 a month will get you the Lulu sticker and who we believe is going to be the next president of the United States, Joe Manchin and the parliamentarian. Uh, and guys, really when we matter. were arguing about, well, look, Joe couldn't get the $15 minimum wage through and we know why. Because the real power was with the parliamentarian. That's why these are the people that should be in office. That's Good the real you, power. Good to see you, Thanks for coming in. Uh, all of you guys. Uh, and of course, for the very generous contributors, if you are willing oh, to- Oh, did you podcast. answer that question for Neil Grani? Because Peter has a lot to say about that. We have some commentary. We really sure. didn't get into that because I didn't want to waste time with uh, Matt here and I just say, I hate that. spending so much. If you guys see my shirt, this is kind of representative of- I, I bring the shirt out uh, and I purposely wore it tonight for the first time on the live stream. And I wore it for, specifically for Matt because he went to DC and recognized that you have no friends there. It doesn't matter no. what side you're on. And even if one side is being friendly to you, it's only because they're trying to stick it to the other side. It isn't because they actually give a damn about what you think. And because- what's ironic is that he came there voluntarily, but like, here's the thing. Yeah. Like if it were me, like if somebody were calling me, like, Maybe I'd go because maybe it would be good, yes, dare I say, for my following and my business to show up and give my employees uh, the courtesy of my time. Thank you for summoning me. Um, but I, I, I really don't think that I would tolerate the nonsense. 
and how they were talking to them. Like, I really think at some point I would have said, yeah, this isn't going to work out. And I would have got up and walked out because I do not understand the hostility. I mean, I understand it. I understand it, but it is so completely inappropriate. Sure. Um, We didn't finish. Um, $25 a month patron gets the tri-blend, beautiful generational change jersey t-shirt. So uh, for anybody who is considering being that big of a sponsor, uh, that that would be really, really awesome. Honestly, I'd love to be invited to a congressional hearing. I have a lot of, I have a lot of problems with you people, but I don't think they would be very happy to have Dirt me. Bag, you seem to be disappointed with a lot of things that we do on our show. So we're still oh. grateful that you're here. It is what it is. Uh, I personally uh, think- Debbie did not tear Matt a new asshole. Debbie looked like an asshole. And again, I will quote, hypocrisy is the hangover of an addiction to attention. If anybody can explain that to me, I would very much appreciate it. And Debbie, you need some new writers, either your own material, your own writing, writers, whatever. This is bad stuff. It doesn't even make sense. Hypocrisy is the hangover of an addiction to attention. If there's anybody who's a hypocrite or addicted to attention, it's her. That's the talk about projection. Yeah. And ultimately, um, you know, if you don't like Elon Musk, which is easy, um, if you don't like the fact that, you know, Taibi did the work, if you will, of Elon, however, which way you want to look at it, at the end of the day, was the information presented factual? Well, yeah, it was. So I don't have a problem with doing work. Here's what bothers me is we see people that seem to have a problem with the oligarch being in charge of the information. Hello, Washington Post, MSNBC, Fox News. What do you, who do you think is in charge of the other information? So the fact that Elon Musk owns Twitter, which by the way, I wasn't a big fan of that whole thing. And I do think that that should be a national utility, but that's neither here nor there. It's not, it's privatized. And that's never going to happen. Well, fine, but it is right. So it's privatized. It's for profit. And yes, he is an oligarch that owns information. So do all of them. You know, Stop guys, saying I this actually, like I actually, um, I'm actually friendly with a lady that I went to college with um, who worked at Twitter for a number of years. And she got out um, recently. And it wasn't because of Elon Musk. She got out because she got tired of how of how much the government captured, you know, corporate special interests were able to capture the Twitter sphere. They were able to capture uh, the ability to profit uh, off of the town square instead of it just being a basic conversation where it was different types of information that was being presented or being, you know, suppressed, however which way you would look at it. Double K. I think it really just comes down to how you want to look at, you know, the information that's being presented. We're not defending Fox News, certainly not defending MSNBC. Oh, no, God, no. It's all oligarchy owned is my point. But the thing about the thing about Twitter is that you can actually tell what's worth listening to and what isn't like there are certain accounts that you just know are, you know, basically doing the dirty work for whichever side of the aisle they happen to be on. They're not going to be objective about it. But if you look at the history, particularly of the work of Matt Taibbi, you know, his work is not only left, but it's pretty cut and dry. If you haven't read his book, Hate Inc., 
It's a very informative book about what corporate media does to divide and conquer society. And they've been very effective at it for a very long time. Oh, so I was going to answer Metalopoly. He had this question for us. And actually, we do support, I mean, we were very supportive, obviously, of getting rid of the TPP. I didn't support NAFTA. So that should give you an idea. Like, I'm all about that. Where you lose me is I don't see why we need to use federal land and build new cities. We don't need to build, uh, hi, Reese. we don't need to build new cities and manufacturing centers. We need to better utilize what we have. And that is just not the way it's done. All that's going to serve to do is profit another set of oligarchs to make money that is unnecessary to build things that we already have. So yes, I do believe in stopping the outsourcing. No, I do not think we should be building new cities on federal lands. That's my opinion. Double K, I definitely agree that. Could you stop doing that, please? I was doing it. Yeah. Uh, Twitter is corporate media. I agree. Um, And again, that doesn't mean that, you know, what you choose to use it for is, I mean, again, it depends on who's using it and in what uh, purpose that they're using it for. Well, but the difference is we all have access to put out information on there. Now, whether or not it gets pulled and censored, that's the difference between that and Fox News. Oh, absolutely. But again, we've gotten to the point now where somebody like Elon Musk decided with his conservative leanings that he was going to take it over and expose what one side was doing. There's no question that there are nefarious tactics that the Trump administration was employing. There's, again, this isn't a question. You want to say that it's a pathetic take because you don't like the fact that there's information that was basically one-sided that was released? You can have whatever opinion you want, but at the end of the day, there is nothing biased about the way we're going to conduct business. Present whatever information is available at all times. That is the key. And if you think that it's okay that they can suppress information because you think it's more necessary to elect Democrats and Republicans, that's fine. But don't say that you believe in the democratic process, because ultimately what you believe in is a biased, uh, you know, basically a phony existence. That's what we have. We don't have a system that makes sense anymore. And after what happened today with Silicon Valley Bank, I'm going to be looking forward to the information that's going to come out regarding that. You see, to me, that's much more important. Getting back to the original question that Negrani had, the recap of the conversation. You know, as I said from the beginning, uh, my viewpoint when it comes to somebody like, you know, Matt Taibbi is that you don't have to like him. You don't have to like Elon Musk. But what I asked of everybody, quite simply, is this, is the information that was presented the truth. Right. Stop worrying about how it got there. Why can we stop worrying about how things get to it? Like, like, let's look at facts as facts. And um, Metalopoly, check out the clip. We did cover the idea that where Russell Brand went off basically saying, yeah, MSNBC and Fox is equally propaganda. It's all propaganda. We've talked about this many times. I think it's all a bunch of crap. It's all oligarch corporate owned. And none of it is about getting you the information you need. It's all about making more and more profit. That's it. That's all that they're there to do. The only difference with Twitter is we actually can put information on it as well. But it's all the same difference. So no, they're equally bad. Both things can be true. I can dislike Debbie and I can dislike Elon Musk, both at the same time. It's very possible. Uh, 
I don't consider that to be the left. Yeah. Anybody who is That's not who, the left. who is anybody and again this goes this goes to Emma Vigland, this goes to TYT, this goes to Sam Cedar who is a friend, this goes to Mike Figueredo who I had a conversation with privately. It's not a question of whether or not Debbie Wasserman Schultz is right about anything. She had no business at all questioning anybody about anything related to integrity or honesty. She is a crooked representative who is one of the biggest committers of insider trading on Capitol Hill. She shouldn't be in Congress. Frankly, she probably should be in prison if we're being honest. If we lived in a just system, that would be the case, but we don't. And so the fact that there are people out there wanting to give her credit for anything, I don't give a damn what it is. She has no business on any committee. She should be banned from them as long as she's there, and she shouldn't be in Congress, point blank, period. That's the bottom line. You want to say that somebody else who asked Matt Taibbi a question was worthy of criticism and that (laughs) they had a right to say that, hey, man, you're presenting factual information, but it's biased information and you're presenting things in a dishonest light. Hey, you know what? That's perfectly fine. And, you know, you can have an argument to be made there. I wouldn't have a problem with that. Matt knew what he was getting himself into. He knew that the information that was going to be presented was going to basically show the Democratic Party in collusion with big tech, which is not a stretch. We basically know that that's the way things work. I I don't understand how they're acting like this is anything that, to to be honest with you, even though it's like, yeah, I get that technically it's news. It's not really news to me. Like, I I, I feel like it's not. And this whole idea of... Debbie was owning him. Owning him on what? Because he happened to get triple the amount. Let me tell you something. She was a rude, vile bitch to him unnecessarily. And then the fact that she's criticizing him for making money for doing his job when she makes money, not just for doing her job, but from other people outside of the people from her job on doing her job. And let me tell you, and let me tell you, Mike Figueredo is definitely, of all the people that sided with Debbie and he did it in a very trepidatious kind of way. He didn't really side with her. He kind of made her, uh, you know, look like she wasn't as vile as she was pulling the whole, you know, a broken clock is right, right twice a day type of situation. I do not believe in calling people out publicly. I think that that's wrong. And I especially don't like people who try to do it for chasing cloud points on social media. But the conversation I had with Mike, he definitely understands where I'm coming from, and I understand where he's coming from. He has a lot of issues with Elon Musk. He has a lot of issues with what is permitted on social media. He is a member of the LGBT community. He feels that they are run, right, uh, they are wrongfully <clears throat> targeted, which they are. And of course, they're targeted because they're a political pawn, and they're a political pawn for opportunistic grifters like Matt Walsh and Michael Knowles, who do not give a damn about what happens to these people. They could care less if they get hurt. They could care less if they get killed because for them, their bottom line is growing by the day. Now, is Matt uh, Taibbi's bottom line, has that grown as a result of releasing the Twitter files? Yes, it has. But I ask you again, and this is what's most important, and whether or not you know people who follow our show like Dirtbag Leftist has his opinion about whether or not the information that's being presented is slanted or if not all of the information is provided, again- Here's the bottom line. Is any of the information untrue? Is it disinformation? That's all that matters. If it's true and we know 
that the government. But co- it's corporate- cherry pick. No, 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 no. But he cherry picked it. <laughs> Double K, we're tired of the right wing lies. <clears throat> and for those people who want to know who the right wingers are in our government, well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? It doesn't get more right wing corporate corrupt than Debbie Wasserman Schultz. And it doesn't matter what party she's in. What matters is she is the embodiment of what we're fighting against. There should never be a moment's peace for that person. And there should never be a moment where anybody has anything positive to say about her. If anything, you could have highlighted every other member of the Democratic Party that was on that committee and say, I like what she said. I like what he said, blah, blah, blah. But I'm never, ever giving Wasserman Schultz credit for anything. That is the proper response. And for anyone who responded in a fashion that is anything other than that, then to me, you're not seeing this clearly enough. You don't have to. Well, like I just anyone. think we should all be offended that he was even called there to answer any of these questions in the first place. Where the hell do they get off bringing in a journalist and questioning him for making money and asking him who his sources are? Like, I, I'm telling you, I really maybe we should send a copy to Debbie. Maybe we should send a copy to her. I mean, I don't know what she studied in school. I really don't. But clearly this was not on the list of things that she's read. No, Because no I just don't understand how anybody can, especially content creators, that you're actually sitting there and celebrating the concept that a journalist that you think got owned, that voluntarily came in to be questioned about how he did his work. Think about that. Any content creator that thinks that anybody has owned anybody that's a journalist and that, are you kidding me? I'm disappointed by all those people, honestly. Like, I think that's just crazy. Like, and I really dislike Elon Musk and I don't trust a thing about him or anything, but Matt's a journalist and he reported information. End of story. He should get paid. Move on, people. Like, I I don't get that they can be supporting the idea of him having to be held accountable for this. It's like a witch trial. And there have been ample opportunities over time for these things to be realized. And it's kind of amazing how all of this comes together. It's amazing how all of this comes together in one fell swoop. And I'll explain what I mean. You know, Debbie's up there talking about releasing information as factual. Yet she is a person who was at the center of the WikiLeaks dump right on the eve of the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia in 2016. The, The complete... It's sociopathic behavior. It is this complete lack of connection to humanity. The only person that Debbie Wasserman Schultz has any sympathy for is herself. Hypocrisy is the hangover of an addiction to attention. (laughs) No, Debbie, hypocrisy is you saying something like that. That's hypocrisy. Yeah, it's like we're living in an alternate universe. But the truth is, the only way that you can make it as a completely bought and paid for representative in federal politics is to basically have a disassociative personality disorder, to completely look at what everybody else is saying, everybody else, and basically say, they don't know any better. I know what's best. And let me assure you that One thing Debbie 1000% probably loved was seeing all of these people tell her how great she was over the past few days, saying what a wonderful job. She really stuck it to Matt Taibbi. 
Well, let me assure you of one thing, ladies and gentlemen. Debbie has definitely made an additional group of enemies that she didn't need to make. And now she's made them. And let me assure you, they're not going to forget it at all. So good for you, buddy. You had your 15 minutes again, but it's going to be- He's made so many unforced errors in the past couple of years. It's like, it's really interesting watching her politically. I think it's just really interesting to watch. Like, I don't understand things that you don't- Sometimes there's just, you're better off just staying out of shit. Just stay uh, out of not it. Not when the hubris is too great. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. opportunity to lean in. And that's all that matters. You know, it's like Dan Goldman, you know, his approach, the way that, uh, you know. I agree, Metalopoly. It, it really speaks um, to the fact that what we will not do on this podcast, what we will not do with our politics, even with our audience and anyone who's out there, this is why we love people like Double K. This is why we have the audience that we have. We will not change our politics just to suit the narrative of what one slanted side is looking at. I am criticizing Matt Taibbi for only presenting one side, but I will never criticize him for doing journalism. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. But don't you ever say that he's not a journalist and don't you ever say that what he's doing is not honest because it is. And I would like to point something out, though, about Fox. Can we say what happened with him on Fox? You didn't see it, but I did. Last thing I want to say, you want to say that Elon Musk is not honest. That is 1000% correct. Elon Musk is a billionaire oligarch of the highest order. He has an agenda and he wants to see it through. Now, whatever that motivation is, I can't say. You saw what happened with that gentleman who unfortunately is in a wheelchair in, I believe, the Netherlands and is now going to have to pay $100 million. Elon Musk, now, of course, $100 million for Elon Musk is pocket change for us, as hard as it is believed that it could actually get to that level of absurdity when it comes to income and wealth inequality. But to me, that's that that's where the issue lies. Matt to was me. on Travers. He was on earlier, but you'll be able to go. You'll, you can go back and watch it. Um, yeah, he was here earlier. And, um, the th- you know, it's all just so. Travers, Travers, you're way late, brother. You're way that's late. That's what I just said. You, so go I, you know what? Screen. When you were arguing before about like how, you know, they're all propagandized. I would like to point out earlier today, Matt was on Fox News. And I don't know the talking head of, to whom he was speaking, um, but said talking head pointed out, I don't know your politics, but I know you're a journalist. And so this is a problem. And even the, the, the talking head on Fox News got this concept. And yet we have people that are leftists that don't seem to get this concept. That's what's frustrating. So, yeah, I do think that when yeah MSNBC, they're all a problem, but yet. Fox was the only thing, the only station or any coverage were acknowledged that this is a journalism issue. Travers, just scroll to the beginning of the of the live stream, and we're yeah. gonna, we're about we're about to end our live stream. So just scroll, uh, you know, to the beginning or wait for it to drop, and then you can watch it from the beginning. And obviously, we will have clips, and we'll get those clips up relatively quickly. Uh, but as we've said, you know, for those of you that are out there, I mean, we Debbie Wasserman Schultz is our representative, so we. You know, we've been used to this for quite a while and it ain't pretty. Uh, but for those of you who are joining late, yes, we did have on journalist Matt Taibbi and he is a journalist. Uh, I love it. And that's something else that I have to. Can we please, Matt? Debbie Wasserman Schultz said so-called journalist. 
Actually, that was Representative Plaskett, who was the guest speaker, the guest of honor at the Dem Blue Gala that just happened this past weekend that I did not attend. But that would have been not No, she said something in her whole thing that sort of questioned him whether or not he was an actual journalist in her whole little diatribe. It, there was some sort of nastiness that came out of her mouth. And he's like, yeah, actually, I am a real journalist because I get paid to do this. That's actually and I, and the sign. And I want to leave you guys with this thought and remember this. And for those of you out there who had any, uh, you know, and, and, and I, I got to tell you, Emerus, who's been in the chat throughout the entire conversation, has been doing an amazing job of being nuanced about this. He loves Matt Taibbi. He can't stand Elon Musk. And he recognizes the balance that you have to that you have to weigh here when presenting this information. You know, so to me, like anything, one of the hardest realities of politics is that nuance is really lost on a lot of people. But I will leave you guys with this. And this will be the last thought of the night. The most important thing to take away from what Debbie Wasserman Schultz had to say when she was on giving her, her what do you call that? Deposition? Is that, is that what you would call that? No, 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 no. Sorry. We had a request. The last thing that Debbie had to say was that she wanted you to all know very, very clearly that she supports full-throated the FBI. Oh, yeah. And absolutely unequivocally believes in censorship and believes that any information that she deems is inappropriate should be censored off of the internet. And you had the audacity to give her anything <laughs> worth celebrating? <laughs> Reclaiming my time. I don't want to, I can't even try to do the voice. I don't want to try to do the voice. It's just so hostile Mr. and Ta rude. Mr. Mr. Teddy, I just invite you here today. No, you I make her sound too much like you're Pelosi. No, the point is, is she was rude and hostile. And I don't understand the level of aggression coming from our employee in a non-criminal matter. Like, did somebody deem her a litigator? Did I fall asleep when she went through law school? Like, what, what is she litigating there? I don't understand. You could also tell that you could also tell that she was really amped up to do this. Like she, she was like, "Oh, I'm going to get my close up. I'm going to have my opportunity." You have that girlfriend. You don't look so good close up. It doesn't so matter for up. her. She thinks she's fabulous. No, uh, I don't think so. I think that she's very unhappy and doesn't like herself at all because people who are happy with themselves. Don't treat Jen, as, Jen as somebody who has done journalism and has worked for the Chamber of Commerce. Can you please, please put this to bed? It is not journalism to take a spoon fed story. OK, OK. Let me tell you something, dirtbag leftist. And I actually am somebody who was a journalist, did that for schooling. All journalists do, reporters do, is gather information. They gather information, right? And then they curate it and they go through it and they put it together in a manner based on that journalist, what they want to do, what they're trying to portray, the issues that are important to them. They are a human. And so it has their lens. That's the point. Their job is not to, to tell you every single note that they've ever taken. You don't need to read a transcription of their notes. Okay, the journalist's job is to curate the information. If somebody hands him valid information, it's his job to verify whether it's valid and then put it forth as information. I don't want anybody saying that because he didn't get both sides, he shouldn't put it forward. 
No, that's not how this works. It isn't about sides. It's information. And it isn't his job to sit there and dig for it on the other side. This was presented and it's true. The end. Like, I, I, why, why are we, like, I just, I can't understand this. Well, and, and then again, it's, um, like I said, the argument has been from the very beginning that it was cherry-picked information. Uh, of course he knew he'd get free DTV time if he went to this. And good for him. He is a journalist. He makes his money doing this. And if the information is accurate and people want to subscribe, he should make money doing that. KK, no. any of you guys, if you haven't read Matt's book, um, he wrote, uh, he wrote the, I mean, listen, the idea that people think he's conservative or that he's a simp for the Republicans is just unbelievable. Um, he wrote the book Insane Clown President, which was back in 2017 with Trump taking office. Read Hate Inc., which came out a few years ago. That's a great book, which really details what corporate media does to divide and conquer all of us and how there's always going to be information that you're never uh, <laughs> neoliberal. It was that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. Um, it was difficult to watch her double K. It was. It, it's it, it's very hard. It's very hard to listen to her. Yeah, if you go and look at the comments on every channel, and I mean everyone, regardless of who was commenting, whether it was Goldman, Laskett, Jim Jordan, whoever, it over like ninety five percent of the comments was about Debbie and how much they can't stand her. So dirtbag leftist. He's not a right wing person. You are just incorrect. You're just incorrect. That was the, the information offered. He's a journalist. He put it out there. You, you don't like the information. If you think this conversation was entertaining, and Lord knows that you do, somebody who believes in reason, passion, and justice, as Matt Taibbi does, by the way. I didn't. I forgot to mention that to you. He is one, Why? What he did he say? Of, I'm just telling you, he's one of that. He's one of them with you. Um, we will have another one on Wednesday. We are going to have... Uh, noted uh, podcaster, content creator, The Amazing Atheist. He will be our primary guest on Wednesday night. But we are also expected to have the new chair of the Florida Democratic Party, former uh, commissioner of agriculture, agriculture commissioner, Nikki Freed. So that uh, will mm -hmm. be our Wednesday uh, special. And there will be a lot more interesting guests that we will have as we go forward. We hope you guys enjoyed it. The bright green it. lies people are coming soon. The bright green yeah. lies people. If you haven't heard of that book, please, and you have any opportunity, it's really good. Um, but yeah, they're coming on and I'm really looking forward to that. We have finally figured out how to grow our channel. Uh, won't reveal the special sauce or the secret sauce, I should say. But we are closing in on uh, 8,500 subscribers. Our views on our videos are getting bigger, which is good. So, you know, we're going to continue to do what we're doing. But remember, we are also doing a new show called the Gen Z Report, which is going to launch very, very soon. We're going to have another meeting on Thursday. Thursday at eight o'clock in the evening. And we're we've already having got another person who's looking to join, which is great. Okay. So guys, if you're interested in checking this out, we're having our first sort of like production meeting Thursday at eight. If you're in that Gen Z age range and you want to discuss politics and you want to have like a platform... Um, come with some ideas of things you want to talk about. 
And uh, we're also going to be looking at some potential logo branding ideas that one of the people who came to the first meeting was going to work on for us. So I really want this to be something that you guys create. You create your own show on this channel and we'll start out moderating it, but with this idea that it will eventually be its own thing. So if you guys know anybody who is interested, um, have them send us an email and I'll include them in, in our loop. We appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for joining this evening. Get the word out there. A lot of people obviously are going to see this. They're going to be talking about it. Jen is probably going to catch some heat. Let it be. Um, From it's whom? We'll see. From whom? We'll see. It'll be interesting. I know uh, from whom. But with that said, we appreciate each and every one of you, even if we don't agree on everything. You're the only person who named names. I didn't name names. I'm just simply saying I support journalists. No, I'm saying that you gotta keep you gotta call you gotta call a spade a spade. I'm not saying that you don't have a right to criticize Matt Taibbi. I think that's perfectly legitimate. No, what I'm I am saying I shouldn't have to take any heat. I haven't named any names. No, You're I, the only person who's named. Fine, names. whatever. I'll take heat. All Somebody I'm saying is there is could you could you stop? No, um, that Debbie Wasserman Schultz should never, ever, under any circumstances, receive any type of positive critique at all. Ever, ever, ever. Yeah, it's sort of like the people like, but they were yet mocking the idea of rehabilitating W or Dick Cheney or any of the like they mock the rehabilitation of that. But somehow we're going to sort of take the side as if it's sides of somebody who's owning a journalist for putting out information that's true. Like, I, it's so strange uh, to me. And who is the it's film like, listen, person? it's like the people who think they need to make exceptions for uh, Julian Assange that, yeah, we support journalism, but Julian Assange should go to prison for the rest of his life. So it is what it is. We appreciate you all. We'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews, as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.